Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news. And of course, insight and analysis into all the subjects you're talking about and we're talking about in the beautiful game. I'm Ian McGarry and with me, of course, is Duncan Castles or Sir Duncan Castles as apparently a um, certain uh, dramatised version of history has been calling him this week. If you haven't seen it on social media, then please go and have a look. It is very funny. So, Sir Duncan Castles, today we will be talking Manchester City, Manchester United, Bournemouth. We'll be talking uh, about Real Madrid. We're going to be talking about Sheffield United as well. And of course, much more, including hero and villain. We start, however, Sir Duncan, as I'm now going to call you all the time. We used to be Dr. Duncan. We're now going to be Sir Duncan. Uh, about some interesting and very revealing news uh, on the back of this week's decision for Manchester City's European football ban of two years being overturned. Um, there was some doubt because, of course, Sergio Aguero um, has never won the Champions League. Um, and the club had shown a willingness to allow him to move somewhere where he may fulfil that ambition. But of course, now they have a clear pathway with regards to playing in the competition, Duncan. Apparently, now Sergio, the Argentine international striker, is keen on a longer stay at the Etihad. Please let us know what's going on. Well, let's just put it on record to to start with that I shall never be Sir Duncan. for, <laughs> for pretty obvious for pretty obvious reasons, but were someone stupid enough to try and offer me that title, I would uh, turn it down. Of course, uh, being well, a Republican you're, you're jo- and having no interest in you're, you're in good you're in good company. You're joining John Lennon in that one. <laughs> um, Aguero, yes, uh, he has one year left of contract at Manchester City. Um, turned thirty two last month, um, and there has been debate over. His future, um, talk about him going back to Argentina. Um, Pep Guardiola talking about whether he would uh, remain at City or not for the coming season when they have a a big rebuild lined up um, to try and get that title back from Liverpool. Um, I can tell you that there's already been discussions uh, between the club and Sergio Aguero over a contract extension. Um, and uh, the club are so eager to keep him there uh, that very significant sums are being talked about as a signing-on fee for that contract extension. The figure that's been mentioned to me is a sum of over €20 million um, for Aguero to remain there. Um, And I think you can understand why City are doing this. Um, Gabriel Jesus has not yet managed to nail down that starting place as Manchester City striker. Um, Sergio Aguero went through a period in which he didn't have the full belief of Pep Guardiola. In fact, Guardiola was ready to move him out of the club and, and the club had to go to Guardiola and say, look, we back you 
on player decisions. You know we give you the players you want, but in this particular case, can you please rethink? Because Aguero is a symbol of the club and we think he is of value. Um, find out a way you can, the two of you can uh, get over your differences. Um, Guardiola wasn't happy about Aguero's work rate and felt that he damaged uh, the system um, by not putting in the degree of, of running that he requires from other players, but that's long since been resolved. He now has the manager's trust, has had for a while. He's, of course, the club's record scorer. Um, 16 goals in 24 Premier League appearances this season. Uh, started 51% of their Premier League games, despite injury issues. He's now into his 10th year at Manchester City. Um, and one of the highest goal scorers in the history of the Premier League. I think he's the highest non-English goal scorer currently on 180 Premier League goals. He's seven behind Andy Cole and 28 behind Wayne Rooney. So if this contract extension is um, agreed and completed and everyone is happy with the terms and certainly the financial aspect of it has become far, far easier for Manchester City. Now they have Champions League football. Um, next season and they, they can fully expect to have Champions League football for the, the following season and they've you know essentially been told as a result of this cast decision that financial fair play doesn't apply to them anymore and that they've now been found guilty of breaching financial fair play rules twice. Um, they've got away with fines on both occasions um, Therefore, if you're making a, a kind of rational calculation on where financial fair play stands, um, you can make the calculation that lots of people have, have stated after this decision, which is it really doesn't apply to these big nation state clubs anymore. Um, and I, I can tell you that agents are, are filtering that into their calculations. So they've looked at the, the, the outcome that CAS came yesterday and they're saying, well, that gives Manchester City a massive budget to spend. Um, it gives Paris Saint-Germain massive scope to spend. So it's it's kind of changed the transfer market when it comes down to the actual players in the market. That's how they've received it and perceive it. Certainly that's the um, implication which uh, I have received information on Duncan from not just the agents, but uh, from administrators at clubs as well. And by that, I mean not even the the bigger clubs, the elite clubs that you're talking about. Um, but smaller clubs who now look upon FFP as a, as basically a dead in the water, um, and therefore this level playing field that was the uh, originally the um, baby of Michel Platini when he was president of of UEFA um, is effectively redundant. Uh, so smaller clubs are now thinking, well, okay, it's status quo in terms of. Um, power of influence um, has been shoved very much back into the lap of the elite clubs. Still, €20 million Euros in excess of for signing on fee for a 32-year-old striker does seem indulgent. But then again, Aguero, as you said, is a symbol of the club and certainly an icon to Manchester City fans. So I guess it would make an exception for Aguero in terms of... Uh, giving him what he wants in order for him to stay. And as you said, now that the CAS hearing has effectively uh, been ruled in their favour, then this is the kind of spending that they uh, will be able to uh, commit. As well as the fact, of course, that 
uh, Champions League football in broadcasting revenue alone um, is worth around 40 to 60 million euros per season uh, for elite clubs because of the amount of television coverage that they get. So in that case, should we be expecting a big window for City? Because let's face it, they uh, haven't broken their transfer record uh, since signing a couple of centre-backs. Uh, it still remains at around £52 million, which is way short of both Manchester United and Liverpool. Um, interesting information coming out of City with regards to uh, augmentation, much needed in the centre-back position. Well, there's a bit of debate over signing record at, at Manchester City. Um, depends how you do the uh, conversion on Kevin De Bruyne's transfer fee. And also you have to factor in that Bernardo Silva um, fee was 75 million euros when you include the easily achieved bonuses. But you're right, they went through a period of, of pushing up transfer fees in a, in a lot of areas. Um, you know, they, they put down a, a record fee and had the record fee agreed with AC Milan for Kaká right at the start of the um, Abu Dhabi's ownership of the club, which was rejected by the player. And they haven't gone to those record levels. And and uh, Khaldun Al-Mubarak had made a, a debating point out of it after they they had uh, received the, the two-season European competition ban from UEFA that um, the, the arguments of from Javier Tabas and others that they had distorted the market didn't hold up because they didn't hold record um, transfer fees uh, domestically and, and in Europe anymore. Um, you can go back to our podcast at the time, which kind of takes that argument apart um, and uh, demonstrates that they have distorted the market and they do remain the biggest spenders on transfer fees, biggest commitment to transfer fees of any club in Europe over the last decade, well over a billion euros. But in terms of what they're going to do now, they were already planning for a big rebuild this summer, um, driven uh, primarily by Pep Guardiola's demands that he needed changes to the team um, if they wanted to get that title back from Liverpool and, and being disappointed in what they've done in the, the last two transfer windows. I think the gloves are off now. Um, just an example, I can tell you that they are in the market for two centre-backs. We told you some time ago that they have been working on a deal for Kaladu Kulabai, Napoli's centre-back, who is available for sale from Napoli, and that uh, Kulabai feels that his most likely destination is Manchester City. I can confirm that is the case. I can also tell you they have not yet agreed a fee with Napoli. Uh, Napoli haven't come down to the levels that City um, believe is a, is a correct fee for that player and they have other options for that first choice centre-back. But the second centre-back they're looking for is simply a backup to Americ Laporte. So they want a left-sided centre-back um, to cover for Laporte, who's had significant injury issues over the last uh, couple of seasons, but is very much the, the only um, senior centre-back that Guardiola trusts within his current squad. So the idea would be to bring someone in to start alongside Laporte and then have a backup for him and a player ideally who could play as a left back too. The budget, I'm told, for that position is €25 million Euros, um, and the salary budget is up to €3.5 net. So you're looking at pretty substantial amounts of money 
um, being spent on reserve defenders, which um, isn't really an unfamiliar process of Manchester City. Remember that uh, second uh, season of Pep Guardiola when he went and bought fullback after fullback after fullback at um, at huge prices, um, and it, it very much looks like we are going back to. Um, that Abu Dhabi dominance of the transfer market. Uh, we will do what we want um, to create the side. We want to be the best team in European football. And uh, the the, uh, the effect of the cast decision is um, that there's very little restriction on them anymore. And weirdly, Duncan, they still haven't really resolved the fullback situation no. and the no. entire time that Pep's been there. I mean, they have tried so many different permutations. And now we've got uh, Kyle Walker, who, again, is in and out of the team. Jao Cancelo has barely made an appearance since his move from Juventus. Uh, Oleksandr Zinchenko, who many people think is a, a square peg in a round hole when he plays at left-back. It just doesn't seem like Pep can make his mind up about full-backs. So we're talking about them recruiting two centre-backs, but he could end up renewing almost the entire defence minus Aymeric uh, Laporte. And a backup goalkeeper as well. Um, yeah. So Claudio Bravo is very much likely to leave this summer, so they'll need a, a backup to Ederson, which um, I'm, I'm not sure they will do that as a particularly cheap deal either. So who are we looking at in terms of, I mean, Nathan Ake at, um, at Bournemouth has been mentioned in dispatches as a possibility for Man City. He certainly fits the bill as a, a ball-playing centre-half. Um, I had a conversation with someone uh, who uh, does business with Manchester City yesterday and I was told that, and I think this is unlikely, but Rafael Varane, Real Madrid's um, centre-half, is Pep's preferred choice as the first partner for Laporte to pair with Amir Laporte, which would certainly be a formidable duo at the heart of the defence, although uh, Varane at 27 is in the peak of his career and most likely about to win uh, a La Liga title in Madrid. Uh, I think it'd be hard to get out of there, Duncan, uh, in terms of uh, bringing him to the Premier League. So they're aiming high, that's for sure, uh, in who they want to recruit. Um, who they do recruit is another matter, uh, I guess. Let's just move on to the ruling this week because obviously there's been a lot of controversy around uh, what Manchester City did and didn't do and the fact that the Court of Arbitration for Sport in Lausanne uh, didn't overturn Manchester City, as some people seem to think, uh, the judgment of UEFA's inquiry into their breach of FFP rules. Um, however, uh, they were fined uh, one of the largest fees uh, ever meted out by uh, Europe's governing body, 10 million euros, uh, reduced down from 30 million. And Duncan, this does seem to be the, the kind of death knell, doesn't it, for FFP? Because if UEFA can't enforce or uh, even prosecute their own judgments on their own rules uh, in a an objective uh, court like Cass, then it doesn't seem like they're going to be able to uh, do it again. And the precedent is now being set for any club 
uh, who breaks FFP to say, well, look what you did with Manchester City, so you can't do it to us type thing? Look, I think that would definitely is the perception um, amongst a lot of people in the game. But let's look at the decision itself. Um, we don't have the full judgment yet from Cass, and it's going to be interesting to look through that judgment, particularly in the context of the, the media release that Cass put out at half past nine UK time um, yesterday morning, because the headline to that release was Manchester City FC did not disguise equity funding as sponsorship contributions, but did fail to cooperate with the UEFA authorities. But then you read down to the actual detail of um, the statement, and uh, it says quite clearly that Manchester City um, broke financial fair play regulations. It says um, Manchester City FC has contravened Article 56 of the club licensing and financial fair play regulations. So they upheld um, part of the UEFA decision that City were in breach of uh, a fundamental competition rule. Um, of the Champions League and of also of the Europa League. They then um, talked about why they had reduced the fine from the original 30 million euros to 10 million euros. And it says, the CAS award emphasised that most of the alleged breaches reported by the adjudicatory chamber of the CFCB were either not established or time barred. As the charges with respect to any dishonest concealment of equity funding were clearly more significant violations in obstructing the CFCB's investigations, it was not appropriate to impose a ban on participating in UEFA's club competitions for Manchester City's failure to cooperate with the CFCB's investigations alone. Uh, the important part here is it's referring to the alleged breaches that UEFA found Manchester City guilty of and it says most of those alleged breaches were either not established or time barred, which uh, indicates that some of the alleged breaches were either established or not time barred. Um, so the, that in itself indicates that it wasn't a complete vindication of Manchester City's defence that they hadn't broken rules. Um, and it also indicates that some of the breaches were thrown out on the basis that um, a statute of limitations in UEFA's regulations, a five-year time period in which UEFA was required to charge Manchester City for breaches of financial fair play had passed. Therefore, CAS decided that a ban could not be imposed. Um, so, from all of that, you get Manchester City have broken financial fair play regulations for a second time. They've been found guilty of breaking the most important competition rules in Europe, um, in European club competition, for a second time. They've been fined substantially for it, but on both occasions, they're allowed to carry on playing in the competition. And that is very much seen as a victory by Manchester City. Understandably so, because the, the dangerous element for them was to be kicked out of the competition. Um, and also, it, it demonstrates that, um, that UEFA have a serious problem here in that 
they had charged City of these transgressions. They found them guilty using their semi-independent investigatory chamber and adjudicatory chamber um, to make an assessment on whether they had broken the rules. Um, there was an extensive uh, process within UEFA in which Manchester City were offered the opportunity to defend their case and failed to successfully do so. They were banned from the competition. Um, it's very much become the, the figurehead of financial fair player perception and, and everyone watching to see whether this would be upheld by CAS, because if it wasn't, then um, other clubs are going to look at it and say, well, actually, if, if this club can be found guilty twice, if we can see this documentary evidence of them um, conspiring to break the rules, if UEFA finds them guilty of breaking the rules, yet all they get is, um, as William Guyard, a former uh, UEFA uh, senior official, described it yesterday, um, the 10 million fine is like giving a tip to a waiter in a cafe to this club um, and to these um, owners, then that's effectively the end of financial fair play as a, as a reasonable and effective sanction on clubs spending. Now, Article 56 is also important here. So there's, there's been this um, representation that um, what all that Manchester City have been found guilty of here is of not cooperating with UEFA's investigation uh, because the only thing CAS has said they have contravened is Article 56 of the Club Licensing and Financial Fair Play regulations. So what is Article 56? Well, Article 56 details the responsibilities of the licensee, i.e. the club that's um, whose finances are being tested under financial fair play. And it's it's got four clauses. It says that the club must cooperate with the licensor and the UEFA club financial control body in respects of the requests and inquiries, must provide the licensor and the UEFA club financial control body with all necessary information and or relevant documents to fully demonstrate that the monitoring requirements are fulfilled. It must confirm that all the submitted documentation and information are complete and accurate, and it must promptly notify the licensor in writing about any subsequent events that constitute a significant change to the information previously submitted to the licensor. Um, this is a fundamental aspect of financial fair play. Financial fair play is about it's, uh, assessing a club's finances to see if they fit competition rules. If you do not cooperate with Article 56, financial fair play doesn't work. If you don't give the, the assessing body access to your accounts, if you don't provide them with accurate information, it's impossible for you to adhere to the rules. Nobody can know whether you've adhered properly to the rules if you're providing false information or refusing to give access to um, investigatory bodies and monitoring bodies. So we're just talking about the standard year-on-year -year monitoring here. We're not uh, talking only about the subsequent investigation when they're found um, to have transgressed. We're talking about each year providing documentation, accurate documentation to UEFA to assess whether your accounts are in order, whether you have stayed within the spending limits. So if you evade Article 56, 
you've evaded the whole financial fair play, which is why it, um, it's an, a really important aspect of this judgment that Manchester City have been found to be in controversion of the UEFA club licensing and financial fair play regulations on that article. It's failing to adhere to a central aspect of the regulations which are supposed to determine every club's entry into European competition and supposed to, as the the the, the clues in the title, um, provide for fair play in European competitions. Duncan, you and I in our journalistic careers have uh, trodden that path to Neon, uh, the beautiful steel and glass modernist headquarters of UEFA. Uh, and likewise, uh, up the road, if you like, or up, up the lake to Geneva, to where FIFA HQ is. Um, one of the things that's always struck me, um, apart from the uh, beautiful location, is that UEFA employees, whether you're junior, right up to the president himself, who I have had the pleasure of being in that office on several occasions, um, with different presidents of UEFA. Um, one thing that always struck me is it's a very nice life that they have. Um, Tax-free salary, very nice expenses, benefits in terms of what they do uh, medically and also uh, where they live, etc., etc. Now, I mentioned previously that this was former President Michel Platini's baby, i.e. FFP was. He has obviously since departed in uh, in a, a not so um, uh, much integrity involved with regards to why he left his post. I do get the feeling, speaking to people who I know who who are still there in Neon, that uh, they don't feel uh, as committed to FFP as perhaps they once were, because the man who brought it in is no longer in charge, and in fact, uh, obviously has been uh, in many ways disgraced uh, for his own behaviour, <laughs> which was certainly not financial fair play, if you look at it in that particular way. And also, there's that human element of self-preservation, i.e., uh, do we really want to get into a potentially lengthy and extremely expensive legal battle with a club which has the resources of Manchester City and their Abu Dhabi owners? And that, I sense, is much at the root of this uh, particular situation that UEFA and CAS find themselves in now as anything else. Because as you've pointed out, City could have actually been prosecuted on outside of FFP. It, it could actually have been done on procedural basis only uh, for the fact that they didn't cooperate. So it does feel a bit like UF have kind of given up the ghost on this rather than it necessarily being a case of process as City described it in their um, statement on the outcome. There are lots of elements to this it's it is far more complicated than it looks on the surface. The perception is this is UEFA going up against a football club, UEFA desperate to win their case, um, the integrity of FFP on the line. They will put 
all the effort they can into it. If you talk to UEFA employees, and, and we discussed this on the podcast before the ban was handed down, before Manchester City were actually formally charged by UEFA, we said this is a political decision. There are elements, there are people in UEFA who will not want to get involved with this. Um, they have other fights, much bigger fights at present, the big one being um, European Super League. Do UEFA lose control of the top competition in football? Does it go to um, private equity companies? Do FIFA take it from them? Um, that is the, the, the big, big issue facing Alexander Cheferin and those people who are in, as you say, um, quite comfortable um, and, and good jobs in UEFA. UEFA's uh, money-making elements are the Champions League, Europa League to a lesser extent, and, uh, and the European Championship. They need to keep control of the Champions League. And going up against um, one of the most powerful clubs in the competition, one of the richest owning bodies, basically going up against the nation state, and we're talking about senior politicians in Abu Dhabi being intimately involved in this process of defending Manchester City is a massive fight to take on. And we told you in those early podcasts that there were people in UEFA who had doubts whether UEFA would charge the club. Um, you talked about errors in the process. Again, discussion with people in UEFA were saying there was a mistake made in prosecuting the case as a financial fair play transgression. They say it could have been prosecuted as a disciplinary case, which was based around transgressions of the FFP rules. However, the central disciplinary case element would be that Manchester City had deceived the governing body and therefore they, were they could be disciplined on the basis of deceiving the, the governing body, tried on that basis, and if it had been done that way, I am told, it would not have been time barred. Therefore, this the time bar exemption, which um, Cass cite as a reason for excluding, and let's repeat this, not all of, but most of the alleged breaches um, in their media release would be removed from that discussion. Um, we also know that Alexander Cheferin has talked about uh, FFP having to change. And he's talked about wanting to move, if he can, towards a salary cap model um, rather than this uh, model based on uh, spending within set revenues. And I think it looks like football is going to head that way. Uh, the, the difficulty, of course, is whether European competition law will allow salary caps to be imposed. But yeah, the whole thing, when you talk to people involved on the prosecuting side, um, they will tell you this is, it, it's hard to understand unless you're inside UEFA, how complex these issues are and how political these issues are. Another thing that was pointed out to me was that two of the um, senior individuals involved in implementing FFP for years, um, the former legal director of UEFA, Alistair Bell, and the former managing director of integrity, Emilio Garcia, both left the organization um, in September 2018 to go to FIFA. 
Um, and it was suggested to me that had Garcia and Bell still been in place, the fashion in which the process was handled internally within UEFA and, and was prosecuted by UEFA would have been different from the fashion in which it eventually was. And, and, and if your um, assessment is that the, the ban should have been upheld, and of course, I think that is the correct assessment. If you want FFP to remain effective, it had to be punished with a, a competition ban. The, the, the financial ban is essentially meaningless to Manchester City. They pay less than 10 million euros on for some of their top academy signings who don't even make it to the first team um it failed they lost manchester city get to say they won um and an ffp loses its effectiveness because of the result of this case managing director of integrity that sounds like a job i, I would love to have a job like that i mean how do you even measure that <laughs> How does anyone come along and say, oh, I'm sorry, but your integrity is not just up, just not up to scratch. <laughs> I'm going to have to let you go. It's like being the CEO of honesty. <laughs> oh, <laughs> only, only football could come up with titles like the Mind Director of Integrity. Lovely stuff. We're going to move away from Manchester City now. We've spent a lot of time talking about them, and rightly so, given the week's events, as well as, of course, uh, that news we brought you about Sergio Aguero and a new deal, and of course the uh, hunt for two new centre backs to Manchester United now, and uh, a very disappointing end to their fixture on Monday night against uh, Southampton, uh, a 2 2 draw uh, in which uh, they would have expected to take three points given their dominance of uh, much of the game, although. Interestingly, uh, possession stats didn't bear that one out in that particular 97 minutes, but conceding in the final minute of added time, uh, a bit of a blow for their top four hopes, especially with Chelsea still to play this week and also, of course, Tottenham Hotspur's win over Arsenal last weekend. Duncan, it's our information that um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has a generous budget to spend this summer. We've spoken uh, on the podcast previously about uh, targets with the um, primary position for strengthening being on the right side of attacking midfield. And of course, Jaden Sancho being the uh, most uh, wanted, if you like, in terms of filling that position. However, uh, I think it's fair to say that the concession of the equalising goal at Old Trafford uh, to Southampton, once again laid bare uh, the problems that Solskjaer has with regards to his defence. Um, Maguire continues to uh, be error-prone. I think we saw as well in for the first goal, Paul Pogba looking both, uh, mm, let's just say, very relaxed as he lost the ball uh, initially in possession as they tried to play out from the back. And then, of course, Stuart Armstrong scoring at the back post completely unmarked as well to take what was a surprise lead in the match early on. Now, we believe that Solskjaer will need to juggle his resources, Duncan, in regards to uh, whether he wants to recruit in defence uh, as well as recruit at right side attacking midfield. 
given the budget, which we believe is around £150 million, um, although United would prefer to spend less, uh, Jadon Sancho uh, continues to be valued by his club, Borussia Dortmund, at around €120 million, Euros, which would, of course, take up most of that. Can you see United finding the right partner for Maguire in order to make him more effective? Clearly, he's good at some things, Duncan, but not so good at other things. And, of course, you've also got the problem at left-back, where Luke Shaw and Brandon Williams uh, are betwixt and between in terms of Shaw not being good enough and Williams not being experienced enough. Well, look, they're heavily invested in Harry Maguire now. Not only that £85 million transfer fee that they paid Leicester City and Leicester City must still be laughing about at, at this moment, but also by making him club captain. So he's he's a central part of, of Solskjaer's system. He's played every game in the Premier League this season. Um, he has, as you said, it's not difficult to detect the, the weaknesses in his game with concentration, primarily with the lack of speed. Um, so when those concentration issues hit him and he, and he loses track of players, um, if a fast or re- even a, just a relatively normal paced uh, player goes past him, he doesn't get back. Um, so there, there has to be doubts over um, Maguire in that defence, but I don't think Solskjaer's in a position to, to get rid of Maguire. So it's, it's about bringing other players in around him. They actually have eight senior central defenders on their books at present. Um, and if you go through the list, it's, it's quite revealing because you have Maguire playing, as I say, every Premier League game. You have Victor Lindelof playing the majority, the vast majority. That's very much the preferred partnership when Solskjaer plays with a back four, which is what he's been doing post-restart. Then the, the, the player with the third most minutes at centre-back in the Premier League this season for Manchester United is Luke Shaw, because he's used him on numerous occasions as a left-sided centre-back. After that, you've got Axel Tuanzebe, who Solskjaer has a lot of faith in and is already given the captain's armband to on one occasion, uh, controversially and damagingly in terms of his relationship with Paul Pogba. Time, something we talked about um, a long time ago in the podcast, but Tuanzebe, who's had injury issues this season, has, has played 187 minutes in the Premier League only. Next comes Eric Bailly on 148 minutes. Then you have Phil Jones, 136. Marcus Rojo, 122. And then Chris Smalling, who has had a very good season in Serie A, but obviously hasn't played any games for Manchester United. But they are all on their books. um, And they are all um, under contract for at least another season. Um, Phil Jones, Rojo and Smalling are available for sale. But... (laughs) <laughs> interestingly for United that selling those players will actually become harder if they make the Champions League because their wages will go up. Um, they're on 75% salary at present as most Manchester United players are when they fail to um, be in the Champions League for a season but let's say they do manage to get into the top four and it has to be top four now after that Manchester City decision um, Jones Rojo and Smalling will be more expensive to recruit for other teams and more expensive to loan for other teams because their wages will have gone up at Manchester United because of the Champions League qualification. Um, It's understandable that he'd want an upgrade. I'm told that he still has a lot of 
faith in Eric Bailly and he does want to retain the player for next season and is hopeful that the injury issues that have dogged him for such a long time will be solvable and Bailly will get a, a proper run in the team. But you look at the other options and you know there are question marks over Maguire, which Solskjaer can't really deal with because he's so heavily invested in him. Luke Shaw is not going to be an answer at centre-back in a back four, which is his preferred formation at the moment. Tuanzebi shows a lot of potential, but still very young. Um, and I think the, the other three are, are very much outliers and players that um, they'd like to get rid of. So, so something needs to be done there. And as you say, the budget is... I, I'm not sure there will be £150 million to spend... Um, on top of the Bruno Fernandes transfer fee from January and United are on record as saying that Bruno Fernandes' money was brought forward from the summer budget. Solskjaer himself has talked about how he, he tries to be careful in the market and tries to spend the money um, in a, a, a thoughtful, um, concerned fashion. He says, I'm always quite careful with money, personal money as well. Um, Edward Wood has, has talked about the, the issues that COVID is causing the club. Um, there is a sense that they want to keep that spend down if possible. Um, but yeah, there, there is a, a question of where you allocate the money. Um, if Solskjaer feels that more of it needs to go to the defence because the attack is doing so well um, with Greenwood, on that right wing position, he still has Daniel James as a reserve, who and he's very much become a reserve in recent times. Um, do you then put the majority of your budget into Jaden Sancho, who is very expensive in wage terms? You told us Ian that the, the his salary has been agreed in principle with his representatives, but it's going to be substantially expensive to get out of. Borussia Dortmund, who are making it quite clear that they're not in the uh, market for letting him go to Manchester United at a discount. One position where they do seem to have um, strength and depth, Duncan, if indeed they can persuade uh, Dean Henderson to come back from Sheffield United uh, on loan. Obviously, he was allowed to remain with the Blades uh, for the restart and for the rest of this season. Uh, we know that uh, Solskjaer doesn't have his problems to seek with regards to David De Gea's form. Um, still no absolute agreement with Henderson with regards to what his future is. But I think we both have had um, information from inside United that they very much want Henderson to be part of the first team next season. Uh, with the distinct possibility that he would play in front of De Gea. Yeah, we we discussed this, I think, over a month ago in the podcast that Henderson does not want to come back a second choice. United want to extend his contract. He's playing a game where he doesn't want to extend his contract unless he has guaranteed first-team football um, somewhere in the Premier League, be that as another loan elsewhere in the Premier League or be it at Manchester United and he feels he is good enough. He feels he's better than De Gea and should be first choice at Manchester United. Yeah, information I have is Manchester United are seriously considering that now. We talked recently about the idea that you bring Henderson back and let the two play it off against each other um, to establish themselves, you know, fight for that position. And 
I think that's going to be the minimum necessary, minimum requirement necessary to convince Henderson to come back to Manchester United, tell him it's a level playing field and that he can have the, the number one shirt if he demonstrates that he actually is better than De Gea. But that's, there is serious consideration at United at the moment that they bring Henderson back with the idea of him being starting goalkeeper next season. Apologies if you're hearing the Dukes of Hazard uh, driving past my house, uh, the horn going or not. Um, I shall go out and see uh, both uh, Daisy Duke uh, once we've finished the podcast. Uh, before that, however, we have our hero and villain section for this week. Um, Duncan, I'm going to leave it for you to um, give us the villain of the week. I can't even begin to imagine who it might be, but uh, that's all part of the surprise. <laughs> I think the villain of the week will have to be Abu Dhabi. Um, they are the triumphant villains. They um, they have won their case. Um, they are allowed back in Champions League competition. Um, they have uh, achieved what they said they would do and um, and have a successful outcome at CAS, even though they were found guilty of breaching financial fair play regulations for a second time. Um, they've now got a, quite a, an impressive rap sheet when it comes to football governing bodies. They've been done for um, uh, doping um, transgressions in England. Um, they've been done for uh, signing underage players by FIFA. Um, they've been done for academy um, breaches by the Premier League and they've been done twice by UEFA for financial fair play regulations, but they move merrily onwards with, at present, the second best team in England. And, um, you know, they're, they're not that far away from, from actually winning that Champions League for the first time. And I think, don't, don't think we've, we've discussed this yet, but the, the format of the Champions League, with it all being played um, in Portugal and one-off games might be the thing that makes the difference for Pep Guardiola because Pep Guardiola's record in away Champions League knockout ties has been horrendous um, over the last four, five, six years. Um, and suddenly the, the away home element of Champions League has been removed and it's now turned into a kind of World Cup or, or European Championship competition. And perhaps that change of setup probably playing behind closed doors will help Guardiola do what he was um, brought to Manchester City to do in the first place and, and finally win the Champions League for the for the villains of Abu Dhabi. <laughs> of course, he must first uh, convert their uh, first leg lead over a resurgent Real Madrid into a, uh, a win uh, overall to reach the semi-finals. But you heard it here first, people. If you want to have a punt uh, on who wins the Champions League and you get decent odds on Manchester City, then perhaps Duncan's just let you into uh, a little bit of a secret there uh, that a lot of people may not have um, looked at before now. Uh, I'm going to make my hero of the week. Uh, I'm, I'm dropping to the Championship in England. Uh, well, in fact, League One, but they won the uh, League One playoff on Monday night. Uh, um, that is, of course, Wickham Wanderers. And my hero is the great beast mode man himself, Adi Akinfenwa. Uh, for his longevity in the game, for his sheer larger-than-life personality, and also for his post-match interview after the game at Wembley, uh, where he boldly stated that the only person 
who could hit him up, and I quote, hit him up on WhatsApp, would be the clock man, because, of course, he is a notably uh, quite famous Liverpool fan. What happened? Half an hour later, there was the Liverpool manager on a video call with Beast Mode saying, congratulations, big man, you deserve it. Uh, and uh, I hope you can join our title celebrations whenever they finally take place. So if you see someone who's not a Liverpool player atop that open-top bus, whenever that open-top bus gets revved up, then it will be Adi Akinfenwa. Congratulations, Beast Mode. Uh, we are proud to call you our hero on the Transfer Window podcast for this week. That's it for us for um, the first podcast um, of this particular uh, July week. We hope you have enjoyed it. And obviously, as ever, please uh, don't hesitate to get in touch and continue the debate. Uh, you know that we will engage you, as we have been doing with Manchester City fans, funnily enough, over the last few days. Uh, Duncan, I've been very busy if you check our timelines. Duncan's at Duncan Castles. I'm at Garbo SJ. Our social media channels are at Transfer Podcast on Twitter, on Instagram and Facebook. And of course, we have uh, entered into the 21st century and we've immersed ourselves. We have a YouTube channel as well now. And uh, that is, if you search on YouTube at Transfer Window Podcast, you can listen to the podcast uh, there as well, if that makes it easier or more convenient for you. Of course, you might like what you hear. We're sure and hope that you have. Um, if so, return the favour, pop onto iTunes, give us a five-star review. And as you know, that will help us increase our community. We will be back later in the week with another pod. Until then, it just leaves us to say stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening.